Hi, this is Jody Acko. I'm the guy who produces the show. Now you might be wondering, why are we listening to you? Well, don't worry, but I do have to explain what's going on here. You see, Mr. Matt Ragushi has been without internet since last Friday. It seems that his large Italian family has eaten up all the internet in the state of Colorado. If you didn't know that was possible, it is. So with their permission, in fact, according to their request, I've taken the liberty of putting together a sort of montage of some of the best and funniest moments in Don't Eat Poop history. You're going to get big time 90s sitcom clip show vibes from this one. And don't worry, this is just a temporary blip. Xfinity will come through for Mr. Ragushi, I'm sure of it. And Matt and Francine will be back with their regularly scheduled programming as soon as possible. But in the meantime, sit back, relax, and enjoy the Don't Eat Poop clip show. My name is Francine Shaw. I've worked in the food service industry my entire life, both corporate and franchise. From there, I went to, I've worked in regulatory, academia. I've done training, third-party inspections, consulting, public speaking, and I've written over 250 articles for national trade magazines at this point. And that is that is a very brief synopsis of what I've done over my life. That's it? That's it. I am a slacker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When do you sleep? I'm a slacker. I'm Matt Rigushi and uh, worked also in the industry my whole entire life, mainly on the supplier side and uh, food compliance with Primus Labs, Azul. Primus GFS, and then ultimately my partner Valmir and I, my business partner Valmir and I ran a company called WQS, and then we ultimately sold that a few years ago, and then went on to a company called RicePoint, and was the chief revenue officer at RicePoint until becoming my own consultant, and now working with a couple companies. One is uh, helping with the standard of CSQ, the first food safety standard in cannabis, they're kind of where food was 20 years ago, figuring out food safety. It's kind of, it's a really fun project. And then with New Era Partners, which is a company under iFood, mainly focusing on 204, the new traceability rule for FISMA from the FDA, rule 204. Family Dollar has once again shut down 400 stores in six states after thousands of dead rats were found in the distribution plant. Mm. This is the second time this year that they've closed stores because of rats. First of all, first of all, how, how do thousands of rats accumulate? How does that happen? The FDA report says Family Dollar has been aware of a rodent problem since at least January of 2020. Dozens of rats could be seen running around the facility during a loud and sustained sound of the fire alarm. This was during a fire drill that they had in October. Wait, wait, wait. October of when? October of when? This was October of, it looks like this was 19, maybe 2020, sometime in that time frame. This has been going on for a while. The stench from the rodents was so bad in part of the facility, the company even stopped using the break room and an inventory control center, the report said. (laughs) So instead of fixing the issue, they're just like, ah, we just won't go in anymore. I grew up in like dairy where, you know, the expiration date on milk 
you could still go a few days after that. I mean, it's pasteurized. Generally, you can, right? It's kind, you kind of can give it the sniff test and be like, nah, it's, it's, it's good. Not my wife. My wife says no. So she, she will go in front of me, grab the milk, and dump it down the drain. Nah, not, not good. But there'd be no way curdled or smells bad. No, no, no. That's definitely going down. I, I just don't eat. I just, no. <laughs> No. <laughs> Curdled milk? Who can even Curdled get that milk. past their nose? Listerosis, that illness is terrible. It is absolutely terrible. And it is rare. So this is this is like a no joke, right? And supposedly he knew that that was an issue in his facility. Right. Yeah, that is that is fascinating to me. What did he write like he he's glad he stood up for himself or something like that for doing the right thing doing the right thing that's right glad i stood up for doing what was right excuse me but what the hell does that mean glad i stood up for what was right people die by having one entity that covers all food kind of lumping everything over one head administrator like the ceo of food administration would be great because then there would be a lot less miscommunication a lot amongst these dotted lines. And yet, well, we all expect, you know, they don't have the resources and nobody ever really talks about the FDA or the USDA until there's an outbreak or a tragedy. And then everybody. <laughs> yeah, then everybody piles on. It's like arm. It's like. Yeah. Attacks them. Why weren't they? Where were the inspectors? Where were the regulators? You right. know, why weren't they be inspected? And, you know, that's not not really fair. You know, if we can't give them the resources to do the job, it's like a double-edged sword. How can we blame them right. for not doing the job? And, you know, like you just started, you just alluded to within the organization, you know, we've got the USDA and the FDA and, you know, the communication. Not only that, but what they're responsible for is so convoluted to the average person. It isn't even going to make sense. No. For example, let's talk about eggs. The USDA is responsible for producers dried, frozen, or liquid eggs. Right. The FDA is responsible for an egg processing plant, egg washing, sorting, and packing. Correct. So eggs, it depends on what stage of the egg or what the process of the egg is. Right. So eggs don't fall... You can't look at an egg and be like, okay, so this is the federal jurisdiction that this egg falls under. Right. And, and okay, and so, and the chick and the poultry side of things, on the chicken side, that falls 100% under USDA. And so this literally could be a chicken or egg conversation. <laughs> <laughs> TikTok is claiming that you can put a clove of garlic in your nostril and it's going to clear your sinuses. Oh, it might. It might. But I don't think that this is like a medical procedure. You should be sticking nothing in your nose. Nothing in your nose. That's probably good advice, Frenzy. Let's not stick anything. One of the first things that we're taught is do not stick anything up your nose. Yes. I'm Italian. I have like garlic on everything. I put garlic on just about everything, but not my nose. I love the smell of garlic, but I don't need... um, I don't need that tactile experience. How many children have had to have things removed from their nose? I actually had a daughter stick a marble up her nose. Yeah. So, and I was like, oh my, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And I was freaking out. <laughs> Luckily, the lady who cleans our house was there. 
and uh, she was like, "Oh, I I know what to do. I don't no need don't 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 take don't take her to the ER. I I got this. I got this." And I'm like, "Okay, well, what what are you gonna do?" And she's like, "Hold down one nose, blow in her mouth." And I'm like, "No way. Yes, uh, sure, sure, sure enough, Francine. That marble popped out. I, I created some sort of vacuum. I plugged one nostril, blew in her mouth, pop." <laughs> Guys, I get. I wish. I wish we had video. The <laughs> look on your face. I'm trying to think. I mean, I know that's all connected. <laughs> ear, ear, nose, and throat, doctor. I get it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know what? The the garlic and the nostril thing might be a good way of getting kissed. Like if you're like you're like you're like oh my gosh, I got this stuck in here. Let me hold this nostril down. Blow in my mouth, please. <laughs> So I know you were looking up some stuff to like actually talk about within the house. What are some of the things that we should bring this back onto the topic of our own kitchens? So oftentimes people think more is better when it comes to cleaning off the kitchen counters and things like that. More is better. We all know we've talked about, I love bleach. (laughs) I love bleach. When it comes to that, more is not better. Cleaning with bleach as far as wiping off your kitchen counters and things like that is a good thing, but we're talking like a tablespoon of bleach to maybe a gallon of water, not half a gallon of bleach to a gallon of water. More is not better. More is not better. Hepatitis A, it is absolutely terrible. That is one of the most nastiest illnesses that that, that could be foodborne. Oh gosh. Listerosis may be up there, but it is bad. And so this recall started from what I remember in, in um, San Diego, they started recalling the strawberries in San Diego. And as soon as I saw that, I thought, well, it's not going to be long till they're recalling these strawberries elsewhere. And sure enough, it did start to spread. And it's, as you said, due to hepatitis, hepatitis A virus being in these organic strawberries. And as we said, yeah. organic does not mean safe. I know somebody that lives in San Diego. And as soon as I saw this, I sent her the link thinking that she might shop at that Costco in San Diego. And immediately she sent me a message saying thank you because apparently (laughs) she may have purchased some of these. I'm not sure. But, you know, I always wonder whenever these recalls come out, how many people aren't even aware that the product's been recalled? That is so true. So I work a I I work a lot in traceability and recalls and stuff. And that actually the the traceability is hard enough up until the store let alone then to the consumer. And so unless the the store level, so this is where the reward card actually makes sense. So people who don't, who are like, I don't want anybody to have my data. I, I don't need to have a discount, blah, blah, blah. It actually behooves you to have those reward cards because that's the only way that retailers have the ability to connect with you if there is a recall. Because then your purchase is tied to that rewards. And so they have that data. They have that consumer data. I remember getting a phone call from a woman who was incredibly upset because there was a kid who had purchased lunch and somehow he had got this lunch and somehow they had discovered that this kid didn't have enough money on his account then to pay for the lunch. Instead of allowing him to continue to eat that lunch, somebody came out and took this kid's tray from him. What? 
What? And then like gave him like a peanut butter sandwich. They, there was this huge scene made from this about wow. this kid in his lunch. You want to talk about piss a school board member off? I was up at that school. <laughs> oh my in gosh. That, in that high school principal's office. Oh my heavens. It was just like, he had no idea what triggered in me. <laughs> Yeah. When they did that to that kid. Oh my God, I was livid. Absolutely livid. We have found something that Congress can agree on. When they eat food, they don't want to die. And they definitely don't want babies to die. Republicans, Democrats, put their political stuff aside. Okay, so in this this happened in 92, right? What was the exact dates. Was it 92 or 93? I thought it was 93, but 93, somewhere around there. It, and it was, um, so I was like seventh, eighth grade, sixth grade. I was in middle school. And I, I remember this became like, I was, we were having conversations about this with our teachers at school. We were having a conversation with this. I remember talking to my dad about this and him and him complaining that Jack in a box burgers now were burnt because they, <laughs> because they overcompensated for this. But like I can vividly remember having conversations about this as a kid and it could have just been because so many people got sick and so many people were permanently injured or died like dialysis for the rest of their life type of permanently injured. It was a, a huge hit in the press and it was just, I wouldn't, I don't want to say overhyped because you know, we, we you and I both made a career in this industry and this was kind of the career creating event. But I think the media had a huge impact on that. So prior to World War II, people consumed chicken like as um, like a holiday meal, right? And then after that, there was this competition called Chicken of Tomorrow. And it was to have Americans compete on who could breed the best chicken for meat. And it was like how fast the chicken matures weight-wise, how much weight the chicken puts on. Uh, size of the, the breast and legs and all that stuff. And that created our modern chicken and then created basically everything else that goes with it. There are people who we're running into at these conferences now who are working, they're, they're leaders in their field at this company. They weren't even born or, uh -huh. or they were in diapers in yeah. 1993. They don't have that kind of, you know, they didn't see the headlines. They didn't see the images on TV. They didn't, they didn't, um, experiences firsthand. And last night when I was speaking here, talking about lessons learned of the 30 years since Jack in the Box, I think it's important to think about the idea of the next 30 years. Because if you look at the idea of 2053, 30 years from now, whoever's at the helm of a lot of these companies, a food company, retail, restaurant, uh, service provider, products, whatever it is, most likely would not have been born in 1993. Mm -hmm. So if, if we look at the idea of the true inspiration behind what a company prioritizes in, what they invest in, how, why they change their protocol, what they define as their legacy, if we lose that element, if we lose the, the, uh, the true burden of disease, the meaning behind this, then potentially we can lose that legacy. We can lose that, that direction we've been going in for the last three decades. And, uh, you know, imagine everyone thinks it's going to be better in the next 30 years. We have to work at that. I received an email the other day. Somebody was looking for something very specific. And this is what the e how the email reads. It says, hello, I require 11 HACCP certificates creating for 11 products. 
our original manufacturer has gone out of business. However, we have stock that we are unable to sell without this HACCP. It is currently impossible for us to obtain this on the current batch. Therefore, we need to create HACCP certificates for each product to pass compliance so we do not lose the stock. Given our original, it does say out, our, our original manufacturer is out of business. Therefore, I need someone who is able to offer one of the following. One, high resolution PDF PNG image of legitimate HACCP that can be edited for our products. Okay. Legitimate certificate that can be edited for our products. Key point. This is not going to be legitimate no matter how you look at it, but they want a legitimate HACCP. Two, issuing of HACCP certificates for the 11 products capital letters, without going through HACCP process. This is a simple requirement. Send me back 11 HACCP certs and the job is complete. No other activities or steps required that might be part of the HACCP process. I just need certificates to upload so we can sell our products. Simple requirement. Thanks. I cannot <laughs> tell you the fury that went through me when I read this. Now they're looking for a bid. You don't yeah, just yeah, automatically so, okay, so, get this. Right. And so uh, maybe we should put some context um, on uh, because a lot of people may not know. Uh, obviously, the, the fraud part of it is. But what HACCP is and kind of where they are probably in the supply chain and why they're doing this. So HACCP is Hazard Analysis Critical Control Points. That's a, an acronym. And what it is is you go through the process of your manufacturing line and you look at where all of the hazards may occur on your line, which would be physical type of contaminants or chemical or biological. So physical would be like glass, metal, et cetera, like that. Uh, uh, chemical would be different types of soaps or, or anything that – pesticides or whatever. Uh, oil that, that may be on some of the joints that move the manufacturing line. Anything that would be chemical like that. And then biological, of course, would be the type of stuff that we talk, talk about mostly here on Don't Eat Poop which would be like E. coli, salmonella, et cetera, et cetera, listeria. And you do this on your processing line to make sure that you've figured out how to control all those hazards where they may end up being in that process. And this company got a bunch of product from a company that must not have had HACCP plans. And then they got all this product and then their supplier that manufactured this, this food product went out of business. And so now they're stuck with a warehouse full of product they shouldn't have bought to begin with. Mm -hmm. And then they have a client that must be saying, hey, I can't buy this product, which is correct. I can't buy this product without some sort of proof that the product that you had is food safety compliant, which would be HACCP plans. And so then he goes, wow, I can solve this problem. <laughs> I'm going to go on Upwork and I'm just going to have somebody manufacture fake HACCP certificates. That's right. I just need the documentation. Just send me these HACCP certificates. That's all I need is these HACCP certificates for these products. So then he sends out this bid to multiple people that he thinks might meet the criteria. Now, clearly, I'm not willing to do this, but my curiosity gets the best of me. So I go in to find out as if I was going to apply. So I go in to try to figure out, like, where is this company? Who is this? And what's going on? What I say, 11 people had already applied. To, for, to manufacture to fraudulent make certificates. certificates. Wow. So there's no shortage of people that are willing to do this. No. Not only that, 
but they had 50 other open jobs. Now, you know, what are they for? I don't know. But the one thing that I could tell is that they sell product on Amazon. These businesses um, have a responsibility to ensure safety of their products and to protect public health. That's their responsibility, bottom line. But they also have a responsibility to their shareholders to be profitable. How do they balance that? Culture. This is where my frenemy, Frank, Giannis, and I, <laughs> we're on the same page that, you know, it's all about culture. And I, I'm a business owner. You know, I know, I know the push and pull of making a successful business can be difficult and you, just, you have to make decisions. But, you know, when it comes to food manufacturers, I always tell the story of my dear friend, Dave Thino. He and I started off on a little rocky, you know, relationship back in Jack in the Box, but we became very close friends. And when Dave had to make a tough decision on food safety, you know, he'd pull out the picture of, you know, Lauren Rudolph and say, what would Lauren have me do? And he had the ear of the people that made decisions at Jack in the Box. And I've never had an outbreak and never had a problem linked to Jack in the Box after 1993. And so doesn't mean they're perfect, but, you know, at least during Dave's tenure, they were paying attention. And I think that's where food companies have to get. They have to have that culture where people who are paying attention to food safety have the ear of the people who make those decisions. And owners of businesses and CEOs, that's their job is to make those tough decisions. But they've got to have in their heart the mm -hmm. morality of Dave Thino. And, you know, and they need to pay attention because, you know, there are a lot of companies in the last 30 years that chose to ignore it. And many of them I've bankrupted. <laughs> so. Hey, thanks for listening. The show will be back in a more normal form next week, but we hope you enjoyed these clips.